God sent Moses to the Israelites to bring them out of the land of Egypt, Moses said, well, well who should I say sent me to, to you? What should I tell them? What's your name? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And that's the name God gives for himself. I am who I am. It's a, it's a kind of a strange answer and a strange name. Hard to understand. I am who I am. Harder in the Hebrew. Could be translated, I am who I am. Could be translated, I am that I am. Could be translated, I am what I am. And then there's the fact that uh, I am there, that verb is not in the present tense, but in Hebrew in the perfect tense. Tense works a little differently in Hebrew than it does in English. As one uh, introductory Hebrew grammar put it, in biblical Hebrew, the imperfect conjugation is used generally to describe actions that are not completed or actions that occur in the future. It's one of the first issues that uh, students of biblical Hebrew encounter and they face in the last, why is this translated I am who I am and not I will be who I will be? Because that's an entirely possible translation. My old teacher, Sinclair Ferguson, uh, made the intriguing suggestion that perhaps what God was saying by those cryptic words is that it would be impossible for me to tell you who I am, but go back to the Israelites and tell them to watch what I do. And in watching what I do, you will understand who I am. And in Exodus chapter 3, that I am... Is left hanging. It's a funny thing to say, I am, with nothing following. But in the Gospel of John, Jesus completes that sentence in so many ways. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd, but perhaps the greatest, the most profound I am that Jesus speaks is found in John chapter 11. And I'll read today from verses 17 through 27. Upon his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. 
Father, we pray today that you would increase our faith. And as we believe, help our unbelief. And Father, by faith in the Lord Jesus, restore us to and help us to grow in the grace of a relationship with you. It's what we were created for. It's what Jesus has come for. We pray that you uh, work your will in us today. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. The Christian faith believes in a coming bodily resurrection. We confess it nearly every Sunday. We said it today in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body. We say in the Nicene Creed, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And the hope that we have in Christ is not a ghostly hope out in the ether somewhere, but it is a solid, physical, tangible, bone and flesh hope. John Murray uh, the first theologian of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and first chair of the Department of Systematic Theology at Westminster Seminary in his book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, wrote, one of the heresies that has afflicted the Christian church and has been successful in polluting the stream of Christian thought is the idea of salvation as the emancipation of the soul from the entanglements and associations with the body. The conception can be made to appear very beautiful and very spiritual, but it is just beautiful paganism. Whenever the focus of interest and emphasis becomes the immortality of the soul, there's a grave deflection from the biblical doctrine of immortal life. Glorification is resurrection. And the hope of the resurrection is not a novel Christian hope but a hope that we inherited from the children of Abraham. Daniel had been told, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. The prophet Isaiah had said, but your dead will live, their bodies will rise. But those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning, the earth will give birth to her dead. The pious Jews of Jesus' day believed in a coming resurrection. The Pharisees believed in a coming resurrection. And as the Pharisees were regarded by the people to be those learned in the Bible, uh, those who were pious and holy, concerned with God's ways and God's word, the people, the common people, they too believed in it and they had a hope for the resurrection. And so when Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again, she has no doubt, no doubt whatsoever, but that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And certainly her brother will rise in the resurrection of the last day. Of that, Jesus will be the guarantee. Because the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the pattern for the coming resurrection. 
You know, it's only going to be now within a year of these events that take place that Jesus will be arrested, he will be condemned, and he'll be crucified. Three days later, his tomb will be empty. At first, to the great confusion of his disciples, but then they will see him alive. And he will be the same Jesus, but he will be different. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Rome, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Jesus would later tell that John, who wrote this gospel, he would say, look, I was dead, and now I am alive forevermore. And so Jesus, in his bodily resurrection, is the pattern for the bodily resurrection of his people at the end of the age. And Paul writes to the church at Rome, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Let me remind those of you who know and tell those of you who do not that in the Bible, the word image always refers to a physical, tangible, three-dimensional representation and object. And those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Speaking to the Corinthians about Adam and Christ, Paul says, And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. And so there's absolutely no question that Lazarus will rise in the resurrection at the last day. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. God had told Moses, I am, and Jesus had completed that sentence. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. But this, I think, is the greatest, the most astounding, the most profound of his I am statements. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Well, Jesus meant well. There's a time, you know, when the assurance of a future hope will bring comfort. But not right after a loved one unexpectedly dies. In Job's great loss, his friends were at their best when they sat with him with their mouths shut. A Job's comfort. That's the name given to people who add distress and misery to a bad situation by their attempts to comfort. And they'll say things like, well, he's in a better place. Or maybe, well, you know, the resurrection is coming. Why do people say things like that? Why do we say things like that? We say them by and large to comfort ourselves. We say them because we feel awkward and helpless when someone is suffering grief. We feel like we have to say something, but we end up saying something to alleviate our own helplessness, not really the other person's sorrow. 
And those who are suffering usually receive those ill attempts at comfort politely, in part because, of course, they're true. But both the scripture and our catechism tell us that we can warn us against speaking truth untimely or unseasonably. But Jesus loves his family. He undoubtedly meant well. But friends, Jesus is no Job's comforter. They have no idea what he is about to do. How can they? Martha says to him, I, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask, but that's a whatever, of course, within reason. Your brother will rise again. That must refer to the last day. It would be impossible for it to mean anything else. I can only imagine that it was with an intense and compassionate stare right into her eyes and gaze that said to Martha, Martha, look at me and listen. And what Jesus does say to her is astounding. He doesn't say, Martha, I can raise your brother. He doesn't say, Martha, in a year's time, I will be risen the promise of the coming resurrection. He says, listen to me. I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. You believe this. Does she? Seems she's not sure what to believe. Not, not sure what he's talking about, what he means. They're strange words. But she believes that he's the Christ. The Son of God who is to come into the world. You know, her faith is not required for Jesus to do what he is about to do. We see many times in the Gospels, Jesus heal people when they're not expecting to be healed. Healing people without any faith on their part until perhaps afterwards. But Jesus didn't come just to do good things for us. He came to restore us to a relationship with God. With the great I Am, the God who made us, the God who cares for us. The God who created us to live in harmony, in faith, in fellowship, in trust in Him. So it's important that she believe, not because that will affect what Jesus can do or will do or is able to do. It's important that she believe because that's the reason Jesus came. You know, sin, as I've mentioned many times, sin 
is at its core simply distrusting God, of believing that God is holding out on us, that we have another way or a better way. And so he wants her to have faith. He wants her to trust. And he says, do you believe this? It's been said before that in dealing with God, we should love the giver more than the gift. And that's true. I'm not sure they can always be separated. If there is a giver of good gifts, there must be good gifts that are given for the person to be the giver of them. Jesus is the giver of good gifts. He's going to give Mary and Martha back their brother. He's going to give Lazarus back his life. But by what he says here, he imparts an even greater gift to them and to you and to me. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. We miss the power of that statement because in the Western world we've been influenced by Plato. We think of the soul as some kind of ghost in the machine that has some kind of independent existence of its own that that just kind of floats away after people die. The biblical view is a much more integrated view. You go back to the early chapters of Genesis, and souls in the Bible are nothing other than living bodies. Lazarus was dead. He'll rise again on the last day. And in an incredible intrusion of the kingdom of God here and now, he's going to rise on this day to the gift. But Jesus imparts to all of us a gift in what he says here. Because given what the Bible says about souls, about life, and about death, what Jesus says is nothing short of astonishing. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even if he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. In Christ is a phrase that occurs all over and throughout the New Testament. Our faith is in Christ. We are to consider ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. In Christ, we who are many are one body. We are sanctified, that is made holy, in Christ. And his beloved people who die in this age fall asleep in Christ. They don't die, they can't die, because he is the resurrection, and they are in 
It is to me the greatest and most astounding of the I am statements that Jesus makes. That he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because I want to tell you that it's true whether you believe it or not. But God came to restore, or Jesus came rather to restore your relationship to God. And that means bringing you back to a place of trusting Him. Do you believe it? Do you trust Him? You pray with me. Lord, I pause for a moment to just reflect on the, the grandeur of this event that took place in this in this little town of Bethany here. But Father, Lazarus rose to die ultimately again. And yet in what Jesus has declared, proclaimed, told us of himself, gave to that family hope not just for that day, but hope beyond that day. As old age and weakness and sickness would set in and has given hope to us as well, Lord, in this fallen world. An astonishing declaration, Lord Jesus Christ, you are the resurrection. Give us grace to trust in you and restore to us the joy that you created us for. We'll give you the glory for it.